0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. If you haven't studied much of this stuff yourself yet, you may be asking yourself, what about those who commit suicide? What kind of experience do they have when they take their own life and find themselves on the other side and then are able to return to tell the tale? Well, I'm going to read an experience like that. And then we'll talk about it afterward. This is the experience of Angie Fenimore. And this is an excerpt from her book, Beyond the Darkness, my near death journey to the edge of hell and back. I was passing over into a different sphere. My soul was disconnecting from my body that or with a hum that kept growing louder rising to a whine as the vibration of death pulled me deeper. I noticed that there was a large screen before me. I was drawn into a three-dimensional slideshow of my life that played out before my eyes chronologically. While I experienced every part of it from all points of view and all points of understanding, I knew exactly how each person who had ever interacted with me felt. In particular, however, I was being shown in vivid detail exactly what my childhood was really like. The pictures flew past me, but I easily absorbed every moment, each one triggering an entire memory or chunk of my life. So this was what people meant when they said my life flashed before my eyes. And I'm going to pause for a moment and just say that uh, she had had a very abusive uh, childhood. Um, to give that little backdrop. Okay, back to the text. The closer I came to the end of my life, the faster the pictures flew past me. It was incredible. In an instant, I had experienced the entirety of 27 years from birth until the moment I found myself dying on the couch and passing into a warm tunnel. Then the fast motion of my life, rushing past and through me stopped abruptly. Now what? Where was I? I was immersed in darkness. My eyes seemed to adjust, and I could see clearly even though there was no light. The darkness continued in all directions and seemed to have no end, but it wasn't just blackness. It was an endless void, an absence of light. It was completely enveloping. I swung my head around to explore the thick black darkness and saw, to my right, standing shoulder to shoulder, a handful of others. They were all teenagers. Oh, we must be the suicides. With a laugh, I opened my mouth, but before I could form the words, they came tumbling out. I wasn't sure whether I had thought the words or had attempted to say them, but they were audible without my having to move my lips. Then I wasn't sure if the other people had heard me until the guy next to me responded. He didn't say a word to me. He slowly looked down at me and turned forward again. There was absolutely no expression on his face, no warmth or intelligence in his eyes. Suspended in darkness, he and all the others stood fixed in a thoughtless stupor. Second over from the other end was uh, of the line was a girl who looked to be in her late teens. I was coming to see that feeling, what some call intuition or the sixth sense, was a preferred method of transferring information here, where unvoiced ideas grew inaudible. As I exercised my new power, of sensing and feeling i had an inkling that i was remembering a long forgotten natural familiar skill that i had been or that had been supplanted or subverted by words and i quickly grew proficient in this way of gaining knowledge but she did not connect with me her empty gaze fixed on nothing continued uninterrupted by my thoughts about her she was just like the rest of them, staring blankly forward, with no concern or curiosity about where we were. They were dead, and so was I. Suddenly, as if we had been waiting for a kind of sorting process to take place, I was sucked further into the darkness by an unseen and undefined power, leaving the teenagers behind, I landed on the edge of a a shadowy realm, suspended in darkness, extended to the limits of my sight. I knew that I was in a state of hell, but this was not the typical fire and brimstone hell that I had learned about as a young child. The word purgatory arose, whispered in my mind. Men and women of all ages, but no children were standing or squatting uh, or wandering about on the realm. Some were mumbling to themselves. The darkness emanated from deep within and radiated from them in an aura I could feel. They were completely self-absorbed. Every one of them too caught up in his or her own misery to engage in any mental or emotional exchange. They had the ability to connect with one another, but they were in. Capacitated by the darkness. I gradually became aware of the sounds of a kaleidoscope, a kaleidoscopic flurry of voices, and I realized that in this realm, thoughts were the mode of communication. Around me, I could hear the buzz of thoughts, as if I were in a crowded movie theater with lights down low, picking up the sounds of hushed exchanges. Sitting next to me was a man who appeared to be about 60 years old. This man's eyes were totally without comprehension, pathetically squatting on the ground, draped in filthy white robes. He wasn't radiating anything, not even self-pity. I felt that he had absorbed everything there, was to know here, and had chosen to stop thinking. He was completely drained, just waiting. I knew that his soul had been rotting here forever. In this dark prison, a Dane might as well be a thousand days or a thousand years. I was sure that this man, like the middle-aged woman, had killed himself. His clothing suggested he might have walked the earth during Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. I wondered if he was Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed the Savior and then hung himself. I felt that I should be embarrassed that I was thinking these things in his presence where he could hear me. As my mind reached for more information, I felt tremendous disappointment. I could feel and completely know about everything around me just by posing a question in my mind or by looking in any direction. The possibilities for learning were endless, but I had no books, no television, no love, no privacy, no sleep, no friends, no light, no growth, no happiness, and no relief no knowledge to gain and no way to use it. But worse was my growing sense of complete aloneness. Even hearing the brunt of someone's anger, however unpleasant, is a form of tangible connection. But in this empty world where no connections connections could be made, the solitude was terrifying. Then I heard a voice of awesome power, not loud, but crashing over like a booming wave of sound, a voice that encompassed such ferocious anger that with one word I could dis- it could destroy the universe, and that also encompassed such potent and unwavering love that like the sun, it could coax life from the earth. I cowered at its force and its excruciating words, Is this what you really want? The great voice emanated from a pinpoint of light that swelled with each thunderous word until it hung like a radiant sun just beyond the, dark, or, or the black wall of mist that formed my prison. Though far more brilliant than the sun, the light soothed my eyes with its deep and purest white luminescence. I sensed that the light could not or perhaps would not, I wasn't sure, cross the barrier into the darkness. And I knew with complete certainty that I was in the presence of God. He was a being of light. Not just radiating light or illuminating from within, but he almost seemed to be made of the light. It was a light that had substance and dimension. The most beautiful, glorious substance that I had ever beheld. All beauty, all love, all goodness were contained in the light that poured forth from his being. But there is nothing that we are even capable of imagining that comes close to the multitude or to the magnitude of perfect love that this being poured into me. While I was not remembering details of a life before my mortal birth, I was reacquainting myself, with the life that I shared with the Father, a spirit life that seemed to extend to the beginning of the universe. I could see that none of the others in the realm were aware of God's presence. The man cowering next to me could see that I was focusing on something, but it was apparent that he couldn't see anything beyond the barrier. Others continued to babble, unaware. Then God spoke to me, His words were excruciating. Is this what you really want? Don't you know that this is the worst thing you could have done? I could feel his anger and frustration, both because I'd thrown in the towel and because I'd cut myself off from him and from his guidance. And I'd felt trapped. I had been able to see no other choice but to die before I could do any more damage in my life so I answered, but my life is so hard. My thoughts were communicated so fast that they weren't even completed before I absorbed his response. You think that was hard? It's nothing compared to what awaits you if you take your life. When the father spoke, each of his words exploded into a complex of meanings, like fireworks, tiny balls of light that erupted into billions of bits of information, filling me with streams of vivid truth and pure understanding. Life's supposed to be hard. You can't skip over parts. We, w- we have all done it. You must earn what you receive. That was quoted by the voice, by the way. Suddenly I felt another presence with us, the same presence that had been with me when I first crossed over into death and who had reviewed my life with me. I recognized that he had been with us the whole time, but that I was only now becoming able to perceive him. Then I sensed his powerful yet gentle personality, but now I could feel him so strongly that I could even ascertain—oh, I could even ascertain his shape. What I could see were bits of light coming through the darkness, like tiny, tiny laser beams, pinpricking a black sheet, or like stars peeping through the blackness of a cloudless night. His this light was unmistakably of the same brilliance as the glorious light that emanated from the Father. But my spiritual eyes were incapable of fully beholding it. My ability to see with my eyes was somehow linked to my willingness to believe. The rays of light penetrated me with incredible force, with the power of an all-encompassing love. This love was pure, as pure and potent as the Father's, But it had an entirely new dimension of pure compassion, of complete and perfect empathy. I felt that he not only understood my life and my pains exactly, as if he had actually lived my life, but that he knew everything about how to guide me through it. How many different choices could produce either more bitterness or new growth. Having thought all my life that no one could possibly understand what I had been through, I was now aware that there was one other person who truly did. Through this empathy or though this uh, let's see, through this empathy ran a deep vein of sorrow. He ached. He truly grieved for the pain I had endured, but even more for the f- failure to seek his comfort. His greatest desire was to help me. He mourned my blindness as a mother would mourn a dead child, suddenly I knew that I was in the presence of the Redeemer of the world. He spoke to me through the veil of darkness. Don't you understand? I have done this for you. As I was flooded with his love and with the actual pain that he bore for me, my spiritual eyes were opened. In that moment, I began to see just exactly what it was that the Savior had done, how he had sacrificed for me. He showed me, he had taken me into himself, subsumed my life in his, embraced my experiences, my sufferings as his own. And so for a second I was within his body, able to see things from his point of view and to experience his self-awareness. He let me in so I could see for myself how he had taken on my burdens and how much love he bore for me, or right? he bore me. And I knew where I had gone wrong. I had doubted his existence. I had questioned the authenticity of the scriptures because what they claimed seemed too good to be true. I had hoped that there was truth to the idea of a savior who had given his life for me, but I had been afraid to really believe. To believe without seeing requires a great deal of trust. My trust had been violated so many times in my life that I had very little to spare. And so I had clung to my pain so tightly that I was willing to end my life rather than unburden unburden myself and act on the chance that a savior existed. He wanted to comfort me and to hold me, but we were separated By my responses to the lessons of life. He had been there for me all my life, but I had not trusted him. As I watched from the Savior's perspective, his unique comprehension of my predicament was transferred to the Father. From my new perspective, I saw God in profile as he was looking at my form. The father and his son's communication was so rapid, so perfect, that they seemed to think each other's thoughts in unison. Jesus was pleading my case. There was no conflict or argument here. Jesus' understanding was accepted without dispute because he had all the facts. He was the perfect judge. He knew precisely where I stood in relation to my need for mercy and the universe's need for justice. Now I could see that all the suffering in my mortal life would be temporary, that it was actually for my good. Our suffering on earth need not be futile. Out of the most tragic of circumstances spring springs human growth. As God the Father and Jesus were teaching me, their words picked up speed and power and then merged so that... They were saying the exact same things at the very same moment. They shared one voice, one mind, and the purpose. And I was deluged, deluged, with pure knowledge. I learned that just as there are laws of nature, of physics and probability, there are laws of spirit. One of these spiritual laws is that a price of suffering must be paid for every act of harm. I was painfully aware of the suffering I had caused my family and other people because of my own weakness. But now I saw that by ending my life, I was destroying the web of connections of people on earth, possibly drastically altering the lives of millions, for all of us are inseparably linked, and the negative impact of one decision has the capacity to be felt throughout the world my children certainly would be gravely harmed by my suicide. I was given a glimpse of their future, not the events of their lives, but rather energy and the character that their lives would have. By abandoning my earthly responsibilities, I would influence my children, my oldest son in particular, to make choices that would lead him away from his divine purpose. Before Alex was born, I was told he had agreed to perform specific tasks during this his life on earth. His duty was not revealed to me, but I felt the energy that his life would have up until his young adult years. I was told that my children were great and powerful spirits, and that up to this point in my life, I had not deserved them. I caught a glimpse of how deeply God loves my boys, and how With my callous disregard for their welfare, I was tampering with the sacred will of God. Then I was shown how I would harm other people close to me, such as my husband and his sister, Tony, by taking my life, and by extension, countless others. There were people on earth whom I would never meet who would be affected by my suicide. Because of the anger and pain I would cause them, my loved ones would be unable to store up the goodness that they were meant to pass on to others. I would be held responsible for the damages or the lack of good they would do, the lack of good they would do, while immersed in the pain of my selfish death. I would pay dearly for it, since spiritual laws dictate that all harm, including lack of good, stemmed from my from my death, be punished by a measure of suffering. Even though I couldn't foresee the ripple effect my death would cause, I would be held accountable. God himself is bound by spiritual law, and so there could be no escape for me. And I was shown that for me, the realm of darkness was quite literally spiritual time out, a place where I was supposed to grasp the gravity of my offenses and to pay the price, But I had to ask, why me? Why was it that I could see God while the vacant husk of a man next to me could not? Why was I absorbing light and being taught while he was hunkering down in misery and darkness? I was told that the reason is willingness. When I first looked at the man and wondered if he had been alive during the earthly ministry of Jesus, the question showed that I was willing to believe in God, willing to believe that Christ had once walked the earth and was and once I was willing to believe, I was able to see. willingness and the ability are the same thing. All around me on the dark realm were people of varying degrees of willingness, of understanding, of ability to see that Christ, that Jesus Christ, was there with us the whole time. I didn't know if the others were talking to God as I was, or if they were talking to other messengers of light that I was not yet capable of seeing, but I'm sure that not all of them were just mumbling to themselves. I could see that my spiritual timeout could have lasted a moment or it could have taken me thousands of years to progress out of that dark prison, depending on when I reached the point of willingness to see the light. And what about the spiritual law that required me to suffer for the damage I had already done in my life up until and including my suicide? I was told that the debt had already been paid, that the sacrifice had already been made In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ had experienced all the suffering that has or ever will take place in the life of any human born on this earth. He experienced my life. He bore my sins. He accepted my grief. But in order for the agony that Jesus endured on my behalf to count, in order for him to take my place in fulfilling that spiritual law, I had to accept his gift. My heart broke as I realized that I had been not only hurting my family, who are beloved children of God, but also causing my Savior, who had such all-encompassing love and compassion for me, to suffer, all because I had allowed myself to be molded by other people's weaknesses. Now my perception was shifting and the darkness seemed to lift slightly. When I first entered the dark prison, My vision took in only the things and the people in the realm of darkness. But once I had taken enough light in from God and Jesus, my spiritual eyes were opened to another dimension in the darkness. Now I could see that beings of light were all around me. Hell, while also a specific dimension, is primarily a state of mind. When we die, we are bound by what we think. In mortality, the more solid our thoughts become, as we act upon them, allowing darkness to develop in others and in ourselves, the more damning they are. I had been in hell long before I died, and I hadn't realized it because I had escaped many of the consequences up to the point that I took my life. But when we die, our state of mind grows far more obvious because we are gathered together with those who think as we do in order or this ordering is completely natural and is consistent with how we cho- choose to live while we are in this world our time is but a heartbeat in the eternal scheme of creation and yet it is crucial the crucial moment of truth the turning point it determines how our spirits will exist forever in both the future and the past i was becoming less and less part place of the place of darkness with each particle of light that I accepted. I hadn't felt myself lift off the surface, but now I was hovering above the field of darkness into the realm of the scurrying spirits of light. I could feel the urgency in the spirits who were scurrying about to do the work of God. I was then told that we are in the final moments before the Savior will return to the earth. I was told that the war between darkness and light upon the earth had grown so intense that if we are not continually seeking light, the darkness will consume us and we will be lost. I was not told when it would happen, but I understood that the earth is being prepared for the second coming of Christ. I looked down at the uh, pathetic souls and realized that I could no longer, uh, that I no longer felt as they did. I wanted to live. Then the powerful energy source that had transported me to the dark prison returned to liberate me. For a split second, a rushing sensation engulfed me. The darkness sped past and suddenly I was back in my body, lying on the couch. That is the end of the experience shared by Angie Fenimore. Now, I want to tell you, I did not read this experience before um, starting to read. I I read enough about it to see that this was a suicide experience, that it wasn't just a quick little out-of-the-body-and-then-back-in kind of experience to see, you know, kind of sped through it real quick. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read this, and we'll see where it goes. But I am blown away. I am blown away by, by this experience, and I believe it. This sounds consistent with everything I've read about suicide attempts that include near-death experiences. This includes um, the experiences of those who have, you know, it's it's similar to the experiences of those who have lived horrible lives, had near-death experiences, and then come back to tell us about them. It. You know, and and some of the experiences will not include this particular realm of just you know lonely people in this dark place. They will include other kinds of things um, as well. But they're all as miserable sounding, and they're all just these horrible states of mind that are encompassingly um, lonely, encompassingly depressing, and and you know suffering is what it's all about. And there is always in the experiences that I've read the uh, sense of regret. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Please let me go back. And they beg to go back because they see that their life meant more than they thought it did. Often, um, part of the reason people commit suicide is because they have this sense of complete purposelessness, a complete utter feeling of uselessness. Like I'm no good to anybody for anything. I'm only doing harm. Like this lady said, I don't want to hurt anybody else. So I'll just kill myself to get off of this, um, um, this, uh, cycle of, of bad experiences that I'm causing. Everybody is what it felt like to her. And, uh, as it turned out, while those things were painful to other people, they weren't nearly as, uh, as long reaching a ripple effect as her suicide would be. And gratefully, she survived it and was able to come back. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I haven't read the book yet, I would really like to. Um, again, the book is called uh, Beyond the Darkness um, by Angie Fenimore. And I highly recommend reading it because this experience is, is very um, characteristic of a suicide near death experience. There is a sense of hell. There is a sense of opportunity for rescue. There is a sense of of justice and mercy and that and also a sense of regret at having done what they've done. Some of them they're you know it's just a matter of oh I had no idea there would be something else after this. I thought it would be this infinite, you know, disappearing into nothing and not experiencing anything of any kind ever again. I thought I was going to be gone, dead, forever. As it was, I'm going on, and it's not over, and I regret this, so. And in full disclosure, I have to say also that there are some who make suicide attempts and have a near-death experience, and it's this wonderful, joyful um, experience with the light. But it does include this intense, severe um, feeling of regret and desire to return to make up for uh, what happened. So, And there's also this sense of you know, when they can see the full effect that, that their actions and their choices had, they often will feel like their choice was entirely selfish. Now, I'm not one to say that, you know, when somebody's committing suicide, so how selfish of them, even though it's, there is a great deal of selfishness. I, it, it's not for me to say that simply because I haven't been as depressed as they are or as they've gotten, I've never gotten to that level of depression, at least I don't think I have. And uh, and so to say, well, you know, who are you to be so selfish when I'm not experiencing what they're experiencing is not fair at all. But these people who have gotten to that point, and they see the other side, and they see the full effect, they're saying, send me back, please, please, let me go back and and change my life. And it's not easy for them. It's not like they come back and they're like, oh, I'm happy now, because I know there's this happy, beautiful place that I can go to. No, it's more like they come back and pff, the depression sets in. And they're like, why? Why did I come back? And yet, when they're in that greater light and they can see the full picture, they say, I know it's gonna be hard. I know I'm gonna feel like coming right back. But I really, really want to go back because it's not worth it. And so um, whatever is said about uh, suicide, uh, for those who experience near-death experiences, we can say they always regret it. They always um, want to come back. And another thing I'll add to this You know, many who have had near-death experiences who weren't suicide attempts, maybe they were living a wonderful, happy life, and then they see the other side and it's so wonderful and so joyful that they want to return so badly. They sometimes experience just a subtle temptation towards suicide because they want to go back so bad. But they know from their experience that that would be ludicrous. That would be utterly, you know, uh, it would ruin their their. Um, potential for such a joyful, loving experience and, and that for other people too. So the overall message, don't do it. Whatever your situation, however deep the pain, it's not worth it. And uh, there is joy in life to come. The, the experiences that you have, the pain, the suffering, it will be for your good if you allow it to take on that role. It has to be a choice. You have to choose to transcend your suffering. It's probably not going to happen overnight. It's unlikely to happen over a month. It, it's going to take time and effort and work. And those who return say it's well worth the effort. Well worth the effort to pull through. So with that, thank you again so much for listening.